listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I gotta tell you something, people. We have a really, we have a really great guest on today. Well, the one good thing is he's from New Jersey, like me, but he's from New Brunswick. I'm from more South Jersey, but he's had such a great career. And it turns out, as I'm doing my research, he worked as a producer writer on a show that I absolutely loved in 1999-2000, and it only lasted a season. And I was pissed when it went off, and I want to talk about that to him. And uh, my guest is the wonderful Jim Valerie. How you doing? Hi, Steve. How are you? Good. Doing well, thanks. So, so how's L.A.? How's L.A.? You're, you're out there. There's a pandemic. You're on, you're on the lockdown. What's it like? Um, you know, it's like the town went on a one-year hiatus, and... You know, we're dealing with it. I mean, everybody I know in the industry is, you know, it's a little easier. We've kind of zooming. We can pitch now. We can pitch. My, my wife and I are pitching shows. Um, you know, it's just a drag. My daughter's a casting director. And, you know, every day is just like, you know, did somebody get COVID in the show and da da da. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's a tense time out here. It's a bad time for the entertainment industry, to be totally honest. Are yeah. you feeling creative at all? Do you have a creative spur doing it? Because I, I know a lot of people in the beginning, they didn't have any creativity. Then in the middle, they started getting creative. What? How have you been through this whole process? Um, I've uh, I've kind of flatlined, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but my wife and I uh, began pitching some shows a few uh, months ago, and we've gotten really good feedback. So, you know, that's really... But, you know, I kind of... some Every couple of years, you just have to adjust to uh the town changes so much and entertainment scripted entertainment changes so much and i don't ever want to be one of those guys you know there are guys who are like saturday night live hasn't been funny since the 70s it's like no that's not true it's it's very funny quite often right now and um i never want to be one of those guys that says uh oh yeah it used to be better you know because when i look at a lot of the work that we did in the 80s you know uh, not that good I mean, you know, for what it was at the time, but, you know, I did a lot of shows that are just like, eh, you know, they paid the bills, you know? So, um, but I think right now with Netflix and everything like that, you know, it's, it's, it's a really exciting time to still be in the business, you know? Now you're, you're a New Jersey guy from New Brunswick and, uh, Actually, East Brunswick to be, you know, I was born in New Brunswick. Okay. I was born in, yeah, but I was, I was raised in East Brunswick. I'm we, from Cherry Hill. No, we so. summered in Point Pleasant. Okay. <laughs> we went to Stone Harbor. Um, when when did you start falling in love with entertainment? Because I know, were, were, you, were you a funny kid, or when did this whole cycle start for you? I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I was a sick kid for a little while. I, I, they pulled me out of school for a year uh, in sixth grade. And I think that uh, I just watched a lot of television. I watched a lot of sitcoms like Andy Griffith and December Bride and Dick Van Dyke. And they were all on strip back then. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't syndicate when they syndicated the shows, they didn't really do it in the afternoon. They did them all in the morning when we were at school. So, and there's a big difference when you're a kid and you, and you watch like Andy Griffith once a week or once every other week. But when you see them all next to each other like that, you begin to see the pattern, you know, you know, Oh, you know, uh, Barney, he's gonna lock himself in that in that uh, cell. He's in he's in big fucking trouble. So, um, you know, you kind of put those things together, and I kind of like that was my sixth grade watching Dick Van Dyke and whatnot. And Dick Van Dyke was a seminal show for a lot of comedy writers because we didn't really know that that existed as a as a profession. 
you know, so to see that like people were writing it. So I think that probably, you know, put it in my head, but it was the best year of my life because I missed an entire year of school. And, um, you know, what's better than that? So I would say that that's probably when I got the bite and I didn't really perform or do anything. And in East Brunswick, I did a thing, I uh, began doing children's theater. I did a little of my senior year and uh, then I got in trouble with the law. <laughs> and, but then I got out of trouble with the law. And so this is like 1972. And I went to Middlesex County College for a couple of years and did some shows. And as a lark, because um, I wasn't a good actor or anything like that, uh, but I, I uh, auditioned uh, at NYU when I was about 18, 19 years old, and I got in. Incredibly, I got in, uh, and I studied with Stella Adler. And if anybody are acting people, they will know that Stella Adler, Stella Adler was probably the best acting teacher in the world. And I was a horrible actor, uh, but uh, I learned a lot about writing from her, actually. So I think, like you know, those are those are the the, the high points. Something really all that different. Now, when you were at NYU, was there who were some of the other people you were in school with in your program that that eventually had a successful career like yourself? Oh God, Donna Murphy, <clears throat> Alec Baldwin. Um, I met my my future comedy partner there. Uh, we began doing shows, you know, and you know at NYU. And um, who else? Who else? Uh, there's a couple more there. They're not coming to my head, but it was a good program, the NYU thing, because they did professional acting teachers. So you had Stella Adler, you had Lee Strasberg, you had Circle in the Square, you had the Experimental Theater Wing. It was really, you know, and New York in like the 74, it was like, you know, dirty and filthy and disgusting. I loved it. Like, you know, there were just, everything was new, like, you know, uh, the, the, the gay movement was just beginning and although I'm not gay uh, I would later become an official gay person when I wrote for Golden Girls so <laughs> I, but um, I, I, I love New York in the 70s and um, and NYU is like it's, it's, like, it's just in, incredible to be in New York I mean people didn't know the crime that was in New York I mean just the fear of walking down the street it was fantastic <laughs> <laughs> Now, now the comedy team, it was you and Jonathan. Um, how did you guys come up with that? Because, you know, back then, you know, because I did stand up in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, and there wasn't a lot of comedy teams. And, you know, comedy teams back in the day were huge. But one of the things also was because financially, because they don't sit there and go, hey, I'm going to pay you both headliner money. They're like, no, we're going to give you headlining money. How did you guys, how did you guys decide to get together and, and be a comedy team? Then you were successful. I think, I, I think it was just, you know, neither one of us had that that weird gene that you, you need to be a, a stand-up by yourself, you know. I'm not a particularly uh, uh, smart guy, <laughs> so I really didn't have this amazing point of view. But uh, I was pretty good at sketch writing, and Jonathan was, like, the most talented guy in our class. He could do accents and whatnot. So, we, you know, we just did a couple of shows, and then when NYU was over... Uh, I was living in a building. I was married at that point, uh, and I had, a, I had a daughter. And we were living in a building called Manhattan Plaza. Do you know what, what Manhattan Plaza is? No. Okay. In the in the in the mid seventies, late seventies, uh, no one wanted to live in New York. No one wanted to live in Hell's Kitchen, especially. But somebody had built uh, a giant, two, two giant like fifty story buildings, 
uh, really nice buildings, like right on 42nd Street, 42nd Street between 9th and 10th, two buildings. And they couldn't rent them. So uh, I think it was Estelle Parsons, but Actors' Equity said, listen, instead of just turning this into a Section 8 HUD building, uh, why don't you make, make it so actors can get in and writers and performers because we're all dying out here. You know, Broadway was dying. And so they did it. And we got in. My wife and I got in. And so it was all actors and writers. You paid one-fourth your gross income, which was nothing, you know. <laughs> and down the hall uh, lived a guy named uh, Kenny Kramer. And uh, Kramer ran the babysitting co-op and a couple other businesses. <laughs> and Sam Jackson was our was our security guard, and across the hall from um, from Kenny Kramer lived Larry David, who was going on at the Improv, and uh, and I began following him like a puppy dog, and began to see some of the comics over at the Improv because it was right down the street, and I called up Jonathan. And I said, uh, you know, these sketches that we're doing, we can you know turn that into an act, and we you know worked on the act for a little while, and within about you know, two years, we were, we had an overall deal at NBC and we were doing it, you know, we were on a, on a TV series and it, it was weird. It was a weird, really quick, we, we just happened to be in the, in, in, in the right club at the right time. A guy named Warren Littlefield, who would go on to run NBC, saw us, liked us, flew us out to, um, you know, and we'd may, maybe been together for about maybe two or three years doing this act. So it was pretty, pretty new, but, uh, Brenda Carlin, uh, George Carlin's wife, was booking uh, the HBO Young Comedian show, and she stuck us on that, and that was a big break for us. I was going to ask you, what was that like? Because, you know, that was like, you know, when I started doing comedy, it was in 80, later, in the late 80s, but like the HBO Young Comedian special was the shit, man. It was like, it was, you, shit. It, it was everybody was great. Who, do you remember who was on with you? I mean, how, how excited were you? Yeah, uh, it was... You know, it's hard, it's hard to explain to young people what being on television was like in 1983. The ability to get from being nobody to being, it was like a magical box that no one could figure out how to get into. And, um, and HBO, they didn't do a lot of original programming. I think it was like they did their, you know, one hour uh, young comedian show and maybe a couple other things, but this was really early on. We were the seventh. So this is like I think eighty two, nineteen eighty two, and Alan King was the was the host, you know. And I was like, I'm in show business, you know. I, I'm still cleaning apartments, you know. I'm not making a living doing doing stand up. Um, I'm making you know one hundred and fifty bucks a week, maybe if we're lucky. But you know, I'm cleaning apartments, and you know, all you know, all the stuff that you do in your twenties to make it in New York, and. Uh, we got on the young comedian show and that kind of like stuck us to the next level where we could actually, I could give up my, you know, my day job. And, uh, we went on the road a lot, and, you know, for about a year and a half. And then, um, somebody from, um, uh, I, I remember we did this club downtown that nobody wanted to do, uh, because it wasn't paying anything and it was a new club. But I asked, uh, if they were going to get reviewed, if we would get reviewed, and the guy said, yeah, you'll get reviewed. It wasn't a guy, it was a woman, actually, Leah Sutton. And uh, she, uh, we, we got there, and a guy from the Daily News was going to be there to, to review us. And it was a death club. No one was in the audience. There were six people. Every shitty act in the world was there. And just as we walk in, you know, 
the one table of like three people get up to leave. And I said, I go, are you the guy from the Daily News? And he said, yeah. I said, I came out of the fucking Soho <laughs> to perform for this schnook over here. Come on, stay, stay. And he stayed and he gave us one of those reviews in the Daily News the next day. A guy named Lorenzo Carcataria who would go on to write a lot of Law and Orders and, you know, produce that show. He did a, he did a really cool movie. What's it called? about living in Hell's Kitchen. He was this young guy, and he gave us this you know, amazing review. And then the next day, NBC called uh, a casting director and said, we want to see these guys. And they sent us out to uh, California. And I'm walking up to the comedy store, never been at the comedy store, and we were going to audition for Brandon Tartikoff, the great Brandon Tartikoff, the head of NBC. And uh, Warren Littlefield and Joel Thurm, the casting people, were there. And I had never been into the comedy store before. And it was packed because Richard Pryor was performing uh, and everyone knew he was there. So, uh, and there was a mix up and they actually had to ask, Mitzi had to say, listen, NBC is here to see, see these two other acts. Can they go up ahead of you? Because, you know, it would be death trying to follow right. Richard Pryor. <laughs> and Richard Pryor, who doesn't know me from any, you know, sure, why not? And we went up there and like I said, the first time you see the stage is when you're walking up to it. It's, 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 it was frightening. It was the biggest night of my life. And the other acted really well. We did really, you know, we didn't, we didn't do as well as we wanted to because, you know, Pryor was sitting in the back. So it was all split focus, you know. We'd say something, they'd look to see if Pryor was laughing, right? And, um, and then Pryor went on afterwards, and I think he kind of knew in his heart that, you know, his presence had dampened, uh, you know, because we were doing RA stuff. And he basically said to Warren Littlefield, you know, nobody should have to, you know, follow those guys. Except he didn't say nobody. He said a bad word. <laughs> <You know>? so, <laughs> so, and the next day we all had deals. And the other, and the, and the, and the other act was Jim Carrey, you know. So he was like 19-year-old Jim Carrey. So, What was it like all. getting a deal back then? Was it a point where you, oh, you got was, a pilot deal or there was a holding deal or what was it? Wrong. You, you, we, we were broke. We had no money. Um, you know, they, they, you know, we were making. You know, if we if we went on the road, we maybe made like a thousand for the week. But like you said, divided by two. You know, and it's like you know they shoot horses, don't they? You know, all of a sudden these things come up. You know, and back in the eighties, you know, the 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 acts, you know, the club owners were all dealing coke. You know, so it was just a weird. It wasn't a world that I really enjoyed all that much. Uh, because I wasn't like a big drug guy, but um, but it was it was to get this overall deal. I could you know we could move out here and start a career, and it was it was just I, they don't really give them out as much as they used to. I stopped that you know about thirty years ago, but it was it was a gigantic thing. I mean, you know, to, and and they put they put me on they put us on an episode of One Day at a Time. Remember One Day at a Time? Oh yeah. And I had never seen myself act before. Because, you know, when you're acting, you don't see yourself acting. You just get the, the, the love of relatives and whatnot who saw you. And, oh, you were great in that. <laughs> so, I'm watching myself on One Day at a Time. It's the first time I've seen myself on television. And I come to the conclusion, oh, my God, I'm awful. <laughs> I'm not very good at this. And I've, I've been doing it for eight years. Because the, the, the act was just a way to get us into acting, just to get us in some, some attention. Because my partner really could act. Jonathan really could act. Um, 
but uh, I kind of realized, and then they, and then they gave us a pilot. I mean, I did a pilot with Jessica Walter, uh, who I would work with 30 years later. Um, and, uh, and it didn't go, but they were impressed with us enough that they uh, we were going to be like a hip Lenny and Squiggy. And they put us on a show called Double Trouble. Uh, now, this is like a 1984 Double Trouble. It's about a couple of twins. It's one of the NBC Saturday night shows. And they, uh, you know, the girls, you know, it's Patty Duke, but you have to pay two girls. And, um, and I was terrible on it. <laughs> and my, my partner was great. But, um, it, it, you know, it just, it, it all happened so fast. It's just like, actually just like re- reliving it right now. It's like, it happened like within a four year period where we went from cleaning apartments. And, you know, I remember once we got a job, um, we were working at a club called Good Times on 31st and 3rd. You, anybody ever bring up that place? No. It, was, it, was, it was a mob connected comedy club. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> run by a guy named Rico. I guess I could tell this story. I loved Rico. And I don't know if it was officially a mob <laughs> connected club, but you know, that's what we heard. But uh, we, we got a job. We both got a job working for veterinarians. <laughs> and our job was to help these guys prep the cats for basically, you know, cat abortions because there were so many pregnant cats that they were trying to keep the cat population. Wasn't a great job, right? <laughs> You know, we would go in and the guy would shoot the cat up and he'd, you know, you know, do the little buzz thing for the cat. And then he'd throw this lifeless cat to a corner and then he'd ask us to pick it up and he'd perform the necessary operation. And we're talking to this guy, Rico, who runs the club. And he goes, what do you guys do during the day? <laughs> and I said, uh, oh, you know, we help with these uh, cat abortions and you know, people bring in their pregnant cats or find stray cats that are pregnant, you know, we either fix them or abort, abort their kittens. And he's like, that's terrible. I go, well, just to keep the cat population under control. And he goes, well, God, the cat abortions, couldn't you wait for the cats to be born and then just drown them? <laughs> ah, good guy. Yeah. <laughs> Typical club owner. Um. But that little club that we worked at, that was where Andrew Andrew uh, Clay got a start. Um, and uh, and uh, who else? Uh, Yakov Smirnoff uh, got a start. And you have to know George Nada. I don't know George Nada. I know Yakov. I know Andrew. No, you don't know George. Oh, do yourself a favor. The funniest ventriloquist team of all time. Oh, George and Otto and George. Oh, I don't. Oh, yeah, that. I know. Yeah, of course, they were legendary. They were. Yeah, they were leg- yeah we, we worked with those guys, and uh, I think you know uh, one one of one of the nicest things I was able to do for uh, for uh, Otto was he was a giant um, um, Buddy Hackett fan, and uh, and we, uh, we we put him in, in 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 action. I think that was the show that you were getting to talk yeah. about. Yeah action yeah we put him in action and I think one of one of my greatest moments was like uh, getting uh, you know Otto in, you know doing a scene with Buddy Hackett his idol you know it was beautiful we had to cut the scene though <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, now you know you said you were you were not good at acting is that why you parlayed into writing because you've had such a good writing and producing career at what point did you say I'm going to concentrate on comedy writing and producing and did you decide to just give up stand-up 
Uh, you know, my partner John and I, we did it for about eight years together, and we were we, you know, we did the show. You know, it got canceled. We did a couple other things, but but you know, I think the same thing of just like we, our, our friendship was really tight. We were really good friends with each other. And at one point, you sit down and go, if we're if we're gonna be, and you know, we call ourselves the Funny Boys, you know, and I've never lived that down. <laughs> But no one can say schmock and valley, you know. So, <laughs> so you know, we, you know, he, at one point he he was a real good actor. I mean, and he he was getting you know good roles, and we just kind of like stepped back and said, you know, let's be friends and let's you know. But then I needed something to do, and the guy who was a producer on this on this twin show was a guy named Don Rio, and uh, I also became friends with a guy named a legendary writer named Chris Thompson. Uh, Chris Thompson created Bosom Buddies with Tom Hanks, and, you know, uh, and Pete Scalari. And uh, so, you know, I, I, I knew a lot of the writers. I, I, I knew writers, and I, and I was really, I, I, I you, can't, you can't tell from this conversation, but I had a pretty good, you know, rap. I, I'm pretty good with one-liners. And that's really what you need to do in the uh, sitcom room. And there weren't a lot of comics jumping over to sitcom writing. Because in the mid-80s, sitcoms were kind of dead. It really wasn't until Cosby brought it back. And uh, But Don was uh, doing a show uh, for uh, with Thomas, and he knew that I was pretty good with lines. And he gave me, uh, uh, he did a sitcom with Brian Keith. Already I'm laughing. Brian Keith on a farm. Remember Brian Keith? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we did like 10 episodes. It was called Heartland. <clears throat> and the, the producers, you know, the show didn't last, but the producers liked me, and they also did Golden Girls. So um, they were about after the fourth season of Golden Girls, they were getting a whole new writing staff, and um, I got I got stuck on that. I got put on that last three years, and I had never really seen Golden Girls, you know, because it was on Saturday night, and I was still doing a lot of stand up back then, and, you know. They, they, they didn't have, you know, if you didn't if you didn't see a show on Saturday night, you didn't see it. Saw so clips of it, but I thought it was like all television, you know, probably shitty, you know, <laughs> probably, you know. I mean, not to mention, you know, I'm like one of those guys. Like I know people love Bill Cosby, and th- to me, there was just like nothing in that show that ever made me. There was really nothing in most sitcoms that ever made me laugh. There's only a handful that I find that I find funny. That doesn't mean that they're not funny. This means, you know, Jack Benny always made me laugh. Sergeant Bilko always made me laugh. Um, um, what's, it, what, what's it called? Barney Miller always made me laugh. You know, Cheers, of course. MASH, of course. You know, they're, 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 these are like a handful of shows. Most of, you know, television sitcoms were lousy, you know. Remember trying to choke down an episode of the Doris Day show when you're 12 years old? Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> it's just awful. You know, it's just nothing. It's just milk toast. And, and, and that's kind of where I put the Cosby show. I never liked, you know, that's okay. But I got on the set and I began looking at these Golden Girls and they were funny. They were, you know, big time funny. I mean, really made me laugh because there's a good truth to those characters. And I got really lucky. They, uh, they partnered me up with a, an experienced writer named Gail Parent. Gail, Gail and I just hit it off and we did like, you know, 15 episodes and we wrote, you know, an amazing amount of, of those episodes. And that was really like where you learned. I really learned, you know, what structure was, three-act structure, and how to set up a joke, and 
I got I got really lucky that that was like sort of my my first show, and that's where I met Mitch Hurwitz, who would um, go on to create Arrested Development. Now, what was it like when you started started writing? Because you're used to stand up, you know, you're used to being on stage, and now you're writing. I'm sure you know you were making money doing writing, so it's probably not you probably weren't running to do spots on a Saturday night. Because no, you're we like, were, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was definitely. Uh, uh, yeah, we, we broke up and then I began writing on Golden Girls. And then uh, when we didn't have, like, this is our way of making a living uh, hanging over us, we said, oh, let's, just, let's, let's, let's just do the act tonight. Because by that time I was single and, you know, you know, the ladies, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they love stand-ups. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I told my wife, me and my wife, you know, I met, I mean, I, I said, I'm not a stand-up, but, you know, we were watching a, I'm dying up here, and she cracked up because she had never heard the term uh, "chuckle fucker," and, and we're like, "Oh yeah, that was." Uh, and she's like, "Is that a real term?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, 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 it's it's given, and it's just funny because comics had their own lingo." Yeah, I liked that. I'm, I'm dying up here, by the way. I thought it was great. I thought it was really good. Yeah, we were pissed when it got canceled because we never know if that guy died on the, in a skating rink. No, I know. I'll, I'll ask Fulbot if I ever run into him. You know, <laughs> so you leave the Golden Girls, and, and it's a popular show. Now, is is the stock in you as a writer uh, higher now because you're coming off a show yeah, that was very yeah, popular? Yeah, you, you're just you're just you're just in that group, you know. And those shows were good. And uh, I created a show, with Jonathan and I. It lasted a couple of years. Um, it was like one of those like it was just like sitting in front of me um, deals. And it was Joey Lawrence and his two brothers. And actually, it takes place in Philadelphia. It's called Brotherly Love, and you know it was a, it was a good experience of like you know learning how to be a showrunner. And I think part of me is saying it's 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 a really thankless job being a being a showrunner. You get a lot of money, but um, it's kind of like you got to write a show and then like run a Seven Eleven on the side because <laughs> there's all these other things that you constantly have to do, and you know wardrobe and casting and I do like casting I think casting is probably my, my favorite thing to do so now did you have you you were involved in the casting when you were running the show I mean you your hands were in everything yeah 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 Jonathan and I ran the show and we it, it ran, ran for two years it should have actually gone a little longer I don't know why it didn't the numbers were pretty good uh, but it was like it's the same thing it was like what I, we had kids in the show, so I, I felt a responsibility to kind of keep it like, okay, well, I got Joe, I got young kids in the show, so that's your audience. You know, you know you're going to have kids in the audience, which immediately take a lot of jokes off the table, and um, you know, and you can't mix. I'm, you know, back then you couldn't mix, so um, you know, it was an interesting experience. I'm not, I, I think, it's actually, in terms of it being a kid show. Uh, four kids. I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was, a, you know, it kind of like set the template, I think, for a lot of those Disney shows. Now, if, were you ever worried that writing for a, creating actually, and show running a kid, like a show, as you said, like the template for the Disney show, were you ever worried that that might suddenly pigeonhole you into writing for kids shows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that's, I, I got out of that. And then I did a whole bunch of other shows. Jonathan was doing, I think, The Love Boat. He went on to do The Love Boat. And then I got a call from uh, Chris Thompson, uh, who uh, created Action. 
and said, I, I want to do this show and I want you to be on it. And uh, it was me and Chris and Don Rio and uh, Ron Zimmerman. And uh, the show got, the, the pilot was amazing. It was hysterical. It was one of the best pilots I've ever seen. And Jay Moore was perfect casting. It was Jay Moore, Buddy Hackett, a guy named Jack Plotnick, who's still very, very funny. He still works, still works out there. And um, Ileana. Yeah. It was, it was, it was just, it was supposed to be for HBO originally, but, uh, and it's based on Don Simpson, who was a producer on it. Remember Don Simpson? He's big, you know, you know, hard, hard living producer. Did, you know, those, you know, those action movies, action movies. So it was based on him and he couldn't do a deal over at HBO. So we took it over to Fox and, uh, there was a new guy at Fox uh, who had just passed uh, he, he, Doug Herzog and Doug Herzog was, had just put put Comedy Central on the map by p- putting on um, uh, uh, South Park he put South Park on the air no one thought South Park was going to hit you know, and it made Comedy Central so they made him the head of Fox and he said same playbook I'm going to put this show on and you know and I, I'm really not a fan of ahead of ahead of its time, but our show, I think, action really—I mean, it just broke a shitload of rules and really just you know because we were saying it's supposed to be for HBO. Doug Herzog says you can do whatever you want. We'll just bleep it out if it doesn't work. And you know, we would get you know our scripts back from uh, standard and practices, and they would look like the Mueller report. You know, boom, 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 boom. Everything out. We had a book. Oh, I I wish the podcast audience could see this hysterical gesture I'm making. Uh, Gigantically thick. There, that's what I'm going for. See if you can think of something gigantically thick in your your mind. That's how big this book is every week. And it got great reviews, and we knew we were fucked. And um, Ileana Douglas was on it. Yeah, it was, but, you know, Sometimes you just kind of jump in, and I think that that kind of like turned my not my not that I had a big reputation, but it was like, oh, he he can do, he can do, he doesn't have to do brotherly love, he doesn't have to do that, he can do this. So that was a big hit. Well, I loved you know I I I'm the person I loved action, and it's all and he always had great guest stars. You always had like big big actors would come on, like you know, and then just the weirdest stories. I remember when. I think it was Corbin Burnson ate blowfish or something or yeah, something. Yeah, 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 yeah. We had some good ones. Uh, who else? Uh, Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock was on. I know. Uh, what's yeah, her name? Um, yeah. uh, Sama Hayek was on. It was a no, bunch of Hayek, people. She was good. But Sandra Bullock was, I mean, she was amazing. She was, she, I, I'd never, because she was probably, at, you know, you know, the, the beginning of the height of her, her career. And, you know, she's like right off of speed. And she was like, that girl can do comedy, man. She was, you know, fearless. She was fearless. And it was like, you know, these filthy jokes that we made her do, you know, she was in a porn and, you know, you know, Mexican hat face trick, or, you know, whatever we threw at her. She was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. I got no problem at all. She was great. Yeah. That was, I forgot about that. Now I got to ask you what, one thing that always stuck with me about action and people, it's not a spoiler alert because the show was on 20 years ago. So did you, did you know, like, let's say, eight episodes in that you were going to get canceled because Jay Moore dies at the end, which is just weird for a sitcom. Was that something 
originally you did it or did you just say we knew, we, we, we knew three weeks into it that we were going to get canceled we knew before we got <laughs> got got on that we were going to get canceled we knew from our time slot they uh what, what they did was they put us on i think the, it was us and then they had just brought back family guy you know they had canceled family guy after three years and then i think the cartoon network was killing by showing the reruns and somebody at Fox said, we should bring back Family Guy. And we went up against Frasier, I believe. And, um, and you know, I did type. And, you know, we got dismal rating. I, we got a 1.0, which in 2020 is not, not a good number. So we knew instantly. And, um, and family, but Family Guy also got a 1.0. So they pulled Family Guy out because they had a lot of money invested in that, you know. And they didn't. They didn't want to kill that show, so they pulled it. They pulled it. And they double pumped us for about four weeks, and then they said, "Okay, you're, it's over." And then we. It was. It was amazing that we actually got to do all thirteen. You know. But in the beginning, was Jay going to end die, or did you just sit in? No, 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 no. He was going to go on for five years, and we we're going to be fucking rich. <laughs> <laughs> but that just didn't work out. So, so, okay, so that show gets canceled, and you're a free agent again, and you just had a, a writing, as you said, a writing experience where it was like writing for HBO, so you can be ballsy, you can be different. Now, your next show, is, I believe, was the Gina Davis show? Oh, yeah. That so, was a good job. So, but what yeah. was it like switching, because it, you know, it seems like you had to switch your focus, because you're coming from a... Well, a, there, there, weren't, there, weren't that many, there weren't that many shows to choose from. Like it wasn't like action was such a big hit that everybody was copying it and doing these adult adult shows. I think up until then, probably the best single camera show that really broke the rule was uh was I'd say Larry Sanders, and that was a hard show to get on. So you know, a lot of this down is like you 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 get offers, and actually I was offered um, a couple of shows that year, and I took Gina. Because I like Gina Davis, I thought she was good, uh, and uh, you know it had a th it had a thirteen show pickup, and the other show that I was offered uh, was going mid season, so I knew instantly, you know, I wasn't going to get twenty two episodes out of that, and you know that's how they break up the, the orders. They do thirteen for the first one, at least back then, you thirteen, and then if you're a big hit, they'll order ten or fourteen more, ten, twelve more, and usually they, they order nine more. You know, and you get twenty-two. But the, those extra nine episodes—that's uh, your paycheck. That's your profit. <laughs> you, know? Right. you know, the first thirteen. You know, you know, a couple go to the ex-wife, a couple go to you know the government, and then you know, you don't really get get ahead until you get those back nine. So it's just a money game. So you're working away now. Tell me about Arrested Development. I know, I know. Before that, you were on My Wife and Kids. I know you, you know, you worked on that. I love My Wife and Kids. I think it's it's such a classic show, one of the best shows I've ever done. I love Damon Wayans. I love Don Rio. That show, we had so much fun on that, and uh, you know, that show discovered a lot of good writers: Rodney Barnes, uh, Allison Faust. These are all African American writers who are, are killing it now. You know. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and Damon was just a joy to work with, you know, is it easier as a comic, as a, you know, as your, your, your background and you started with comedy and you're a comedy writer, is it easier to write 
for a comedian like Damon, I mean, you know, the, you wrote for Jay, you wrote for Buddy, but everyone knows Buddy is, the, you know, the deliverer, you know, the Buddy shtick. But what was it like working with a comic? Because Damon was, is a very good comic. Well, Damon's not only a, a great comic, you know, he knows what he wants. He, 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 he set down some really, you know, he and Don really worked together well. And uh, it was almost kind of like, are you familiar how Jackie Gleason used to work? Jackie Gleason never never rehearsed. He would be in the audience and watching it, and they'd have a stand-in do it. And all the other actors rehearsed, but he liked saying the line for the first time. He liked keeping it fresh for the audience. That was how he liked to work. And and Dame, once once the first season, you know, they did like ten shows. I wasn't on the first season, uh, but um, I came on the second season, and maybe a couple episodes in, nine eleven hit. And we weren't allowed to have a studio audience, studio audience after that. And that's when I think the show really, you know, really picked up and was fun to do. Because I don't, I'm, I go back and forth. On a show like Golden Girls, studio audiences were amazing. You know, you would do two shows a day. You, you know, on Friday, you'd have an audience come in for the four o'clock show. You just keep going, whether there was a mistake or not. The w- women would just keep going. We'd all have dinner. We'd have lunch. I mean, we'd have dinner. We'd have notes, and then we'd go back and we shoot the other show from like seven to ten. And you know, they they they, they thrived off of that, you know, laughter that they got from the audience. Uh, but when you have a show with kids, kids aren't really always great with lines and you know and there was a there, there was a stop and go thing to it and damon just like loved not rehearsing and he would come in and he would um you know sit in the chairs with us and we'd have a, a guy guy doing his part and the guy was you know he wasn't an actor and so um you know but we loved him we loved him dearly even though he wasn't an actor steve we loved him <laughs> and, but if, if, if he could get a laugh with the joke, it's like, okay, you know, if Johnny can get a laugh with this, <laughs> we're in. But but Damon would sit around and he'd go, oh, yeah, this, yeah, yeah, we just all sit around like in their, in their little living room and rewrite that scene in about, you know, 15 or 20 minutes. And just see, you know, and Damon would just say, he would just find these like, and, and, they're, and they're little things, but he's like, okay, we're making, I'm making breakfast, I'm making, you know, ham or bacon. And then, and then I go, well, what if, you know, what if the baking is spitting, you know, it's so hot and he'd go great. And he would, he would turn that into like two minutes, Okay. you know, <laughs> you know, cause he would just say, okay, you know, you're, you're, you're dodging, you know, baking grease, you know? And he, he had these rules of like, and I think it really helped the show because the show's been offered 12 years and it still runs in syndication. And it's just, to me, it's like, <laughs> Uh, we used to call it the Black Cosby Show. Um, <laughs> but um, but it was just it was it was just so much fun to do, and that cast had chemistry, and the show really never tried to make a point. We never did any any religious shows. We never did anything. We never did Christmas. We didn't do Halloween. We, you know, Dame was like, I don't want to do that stuff, which gives the show, is there anything worse than watching a Christmas show in the middle of July? Oh, no, the worst thing you know, what I hate is, I used to hate when they would all of a sudden have the serious episode. Like, it's like, you're sitting here watching TV show, and like, and this week, Jonathan Taylor Thomas might have cancer. I'm like, it's home improvement. Can you can you can you like depress me more? It's supposed to be a sitcom. 
the worst. I mean, once in a while, I mean, I guess, you know, like if you had to show like different strokes and you could say something about, you know, you know, that, you know, once in a while, but that was, that was really uh, like, I, I think we, we can blame Norman Lear for the special episodes of everything. And, you know, but there, there aren't, there were no special episodes of, of my wife and kids. I mean, you know, if Dave, Damon had, a, had to do a colonoscopy once and um, <laughs> it's one of the funniest things I ever wrote <laughs> is, um, oh God, I can't remember the singer's name. Okay, I, I, I can't tell this story. I shouldn't tell stories unless I have the names, but uh, uh, check out the My Wife and Kids colonoscopy. <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> you know, it was just, and we, and we knocked off like 100, 110 of those episodes in a couple of years, and they, they hold up because they, they're, they're just like a family. You know, they really were a family. Tisha Martin Campbell, brilliant. Brilliant in the show. You know, one of my, one of my favorite things to do, but Damon Wayans... That guy, he can pull a laugh out of anywhere. He was amazing, and he was great looking, and 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 sexy and funny. And I knew him since he was twenty, because uh, uh, he 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 started at the comedy store, and we were regulars there for years. And you know, to see him turn to the skinny twenty-year-old kid, and uh, you know, really, I just I just I just I, I can't say enough about him. I I, I think if you look at in living color hands down the funniest sketch show ever done those first five years with jim carrey and him and you know men on film and just all of it all of it none of it you can do now and all of it hysterically funny now you worked with him okay and i love that show and i remember when it came out everyone's like this is the best thing ever and it's just so funny i mean all of them and if you look at it back at it you could say Nally Nally wouldn't get away with it, but it, it was it's still funny. If you watch it now, it's still funny. It's not like you're going to sit there and go, "Oh my God, that's so offensive." No, well, that's that was the whole angle of the show. It was some of, my, some of my favorite, all of my favorite jokes are jokes where I can say, "Oh yeah, we did this, but you can't do that now." Right. You know, <laughs> and it's like I'm so glad I'm so glad we did that at that time. And yes, yeah, some of them are offensive, and some of them are you know, that's that's the price you pay. You know. Yeah, I, try to do comedy that doesn't offend anybody. Uh, why? <laughs> exactly, and then and that's the way it happens. Fucking Doris Day show. <laughs> yeah. So now, after my wife and kids, is that when you you go into Arrested Development? Yeah. What happened was, um, Mitch, Mitch and I, and me, me and Mitch have worked on a couple. We'd always worked together. We did the John Larroquette show together uh, for for years, and you know, I, I, I basically, you know. Every show he worked on, I worked on too. Because um, even like when he was doing uh, the John Larroquette show, I was doing Brotherly Love, but uh, I would get out at you know six o'clock and I'd you know walk over to Mitch's office and I'd you know work on you know the John Larroquette show, you know because I just like you know he, he's just one of those guys that he and I we our 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 comic sensibilities just click, you know, and uh, so he so he so I was doing my wife and kids. And he got Arrested Development going, and it was, I just thought it was amazing. I thought the pilot was amazing. I remember him coming over to my house. He was editing it, you know, around around the corner, and you know, he said, "Oh yeah, you know, they, they want to have a moment between, you know, 
uh, Lindsay and Michael and, and, and Michael and kind of cracked out a little scene real quick and it's like one of those days where it's like yeah the network just know they want to pick it they want they they're, they're looking for their heart moment you know so we had to and we hate heart moments so we had to write a bullshit heart moment scene really quick and basically the joke we came up with is Lindsay was like you know trying to cry <laughs> or something like that and she said i used to be able to do this you know <laughs> tears <laughs> but some some little scene but we we we, we wrote it at 10 in the morning. We called the Russo brothers who were directing it. Hey, what are they doing now? And, um, sorry. Okay. We called the Russo brothers and you can cut that out. Uh, we called the Russo brothers and, um, went out we shot it in the afternoon we went back to the office we edited it i'd never seen anything like this usually show business doesn't work like that you know usually you write the scene and then you hand it into the network and they tell you no or this or do that and then you okay are we going to do this extra thing and you're going to go a week later we just got everything going and that sort of became a template for the show it got in the network said we love it we're going to pick it up and we never thought that that we all that show was always on the verge of being canceled for us so we just tried to write like every show like it was the last one and i was lucky i could do my wife and kids uh and then i would go over and i would do arrested development at night and uh for that first year and it just it just this, the schedule on my wife and kids was so light it was basically four and a half days a week it was the best job i ever had and um and then i would go over and we would write on weekends and you know that first year of arrested development was just like oh we're gonna get canceled every Every week we thought we were going to get canceled. The numbers were terrible. And, you know, the network, when the numbers aren't good, they try to fix it, you know, and that's their job. And and one way to fix it is make the show simpler because this is before everybody could, you know, watch, you know, you know, rewatch the show. Even like TiVo was relatively new. And so it was hard to keep, to follow that show. And certainly... You know, sitcoms have a sort of weird formula. You ever, like, watch a sitcom for, like, three minutes, and just from, like, the you know, three three minutes of dialogue, you hear, you know exactly what's happening, you know exactly what the plot is, you know, it's all it's already fixed in your head. And those are, those are tricky shows because you have to come up with that, that simplicity. But Arrested was just all over the place. No one could follow it. You know, I couldn't follow it, and I wrote the damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was hard to do, but we got lucky. We got some awards, and that kind of kept us going into a second season. And then what happened with Arrested was um, the DVDs. The DVDs were big, and um, you know they were you know like we and we of course got none of that. You know, but you would go, this low-rated show was selling, you know, 3 million DVDs. So they kept that on, and they kept us going for, like, three seasons. What was it like winning an Emmy? What was it like being at the awards and hearing your name called? It was a, it was a shock. It was a total shock. Uh, I was, I was, you know, of course, with Mitch, and I thought, like, I, I, I wouldn't have a chance because the other three nominees were... Uh, Brad Copeland and um, Barbie Adler, I think, uh, and me and Mitch. And the other show that was uh, was the other show we were up against was the last episode of Everybody Loves Raymond, and everybody loves that show. And that was a great show. And the first episode 
of uh, Desperate Housewives. So th that was our competition. I so I, I had not even I go you know I, I was perverted. You know, it's nice to be nominated. I couldn't even in my head dream that we would win because our, my competition would be two other shows, two of our other episodes. So yeah, it was a, it was it was a total shock. It was a total shock. Now it was amazing, but it was a total shock. It was now. What do you still have? What do you? Where's your Emmy now? Uh, I I've never kept it in my house. I gave it to my parents. Uh, and then they, and then, and then, uh, and then, and then when they were finished with it, um, I gave it to my sister, Susan. It's so like the Stanley you know, cup. It's, it's in Milltown, New Jersey. If you want to go see it, it's <laughs> over her mantle because I, you know, I had it for a couple of weeks and it, and it really is. It's just like, basically it's like keeping, um, a picture of the best looking girl you ever had sex with over your, <laughs> over your mantle. It's like, never going to get any better than this. <laughs> so, so when, when the rest of the problem got canceled, I mean, it seems like you, you saw it coming, but it still must've sucked because it's an award-winning show. I mean, how do you rebound from that? Um, well, you know, we, we, you know, it was a different time because, like now when shows get hot, you know, they're mostly like Netflix shows and whatnot, but they get, they get hot for a couple of weeks, like two or three weeks, you know, it's like stranger things. Oh my God. Have you seen stranger things, stranger things, stranger things. And then another show pops up and you know, everyone still loves stranger things, but you've seen all of them in like one or two days, you know, but arrested. And, and this is where HBO, I think is smart. They still stretch it out. Well, we stretched it out over three years and and we just had this amazing because it's all it's 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 always about casting casting is the most important element i would much rather have a good cast and a bad script than a great you know script and a, and a bad cast it's like you know the last stop for the material and we just you know cast that show perfectly perfectly there's not one i mean Jessica Walker, her, her, her work on that is amazing. I think it's the best thing Jeffrey ever did. We, the glue that Jason Bateman brought to that show, just this the most perfect, funny, straight man you'll ever have. And Will Arnett, you know, it rediscovered him. You know, he was actually thinking of leaving the business. Tony Hale, Mitch got that off a tape that uh, uh, a girl he knew in high school sent to him. And, um, she was like, what do you think of this guy? You know, and that's how we got Tony Hale. And Michael Sarah, Mitch picked out of a um, bin of like <laughs> 99 cent tapes. Or, like how we got this cast together. And uh, we just got like a Portia, you know, like how often is a beautiful woman actually funny? And then we lucked out with David, that David Cross agreed to do it. You know, so it was just like a, one of those, it's all, it's all casting. It's all casting. And then Mitch's formula for the show was everybody gets a story. Um, we have nine characters. <laughs> <laughs> Mitch, everybody gets a story. Yes. Everybody gets a story. And so you have at least three or four stories going on at the same time. And, and we would, we would write the scripts over the weekend we would write, we, we would break the story all week long because the story was the hardest thing to break still is the story is the hardest and we get our story you know, our nine stories all lined up and then we would um 
right on Friday and Saturday till about you know two in the morning, and then on Sunday we'd we'd finish it, and the script script would be like sixty five pages, and then we'd uh, at midnight we'd have to cut it down to about thirty five pages, and um, we would do that really quickly just so you know making sense. I, I really don't know how we did this you know fifty five times, and then. Um, and, and then the script, then the first cut would come in and we'd be about 10 to 15 minutes long on that. And we'd have to cut another 10 or 15 minutes out. So, you know, and we had to fit it into this 22 minute, nine second thing. And, you know, I really learned a lot about, like in the rest of development, you never see anybody pull up and get out of their car. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's just, we just don't have the time for it. And everything had to be funny and everything had to be on story and very little guest cast and it was just you know and we and we and we never thought we could do it week in and week out but somehow we did and i you know i'm very proud of the show and i'm you know i'm glad people still watch it now you mentioned will arnett and will arnett was his character was so great in that show it was just he he played it he played it to the t i mean it just you know it was perfect perfection you know and um you know, come on, like, you know, coming up with like, what, what I like, I was just talking uh, about this today, but the, the jokes that are my favorite on the show are just, you know, expressions, come on, you know, that's just a great expression, and, um, and I remember Mitch, Mitch talking once, and saying his father, whenever Mitch talked about his girlfriend, his father was this great man, and, uh, but, Every time Mitch had a girlfriend, his father would always go, her, <laughs> you know, and we just kind of this, her, her, and I, and, and we put it into the show. I said, we got, we have to put this in the show because it's such, such a great dad reaction to your girlfriend, her, and what makes her such a great thing is it's a funny noise too, you know, her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and I, I, I think it's the shortest, silliest sound in the world. And the, the, the best is like when an audience can connect to that, you know, I, you know, you, you kind of like find out it's, it's different. Like I, there's, I can almost tell, like, uh, if I meet somebody, what, what one of my shows are going to like, there's a certain golden girl fan show, you know, and you know, golden girls are, you know, often gay, you know, and they love the show and they can quote it left and right. A lot of women love, of course, golden girls, but, uh, there's a there's a certain sort of arrested fan, and I don't even know how big our fan base is. You know, I'm I'm kind of in a bubble, but all of them are just hysterical, funny, interesting, neurotic, crazy people. I mean, I love the people who love Arrested Development. Wh- so, wh- where did No Nude come from? What? No Nude. David never Cross. Nude, never, never Nude. Never Nude. Never Nude. Yeah. Never Nude. I, I'm pretty sure that was Richie Rosenstock. Uh, you know, uh, we said, you know, what if, you know, a lot of your jokes come from what you can't do, you know, but we, I think, I'm pretty sure I think it was like, we wanted to, we wanted, um, David's character to like, not get apart and be like, um, oh, you know, uh, that's okay. I don't care about it. It's just a part. And then cut to him in the shower sobbing uncontrollably, right? <laughs> that was basically the gag. But, um, you know, it's like, well, we couldn't have 
naked. So what? And somebody said, "What? What if he's never wearing anything? What if he always has cutoffs on?" And uh, and like it was a thing, and maybe it was a thing, but Richie just said, "Oh, he's never nude." <laughs> and that's why we would say, "Okay, well, let's have him shorts, but like, let's see if we can see that." This is where Mitch was was really great. Was the the, the attention to detail that you wouldn't get until you saw the show two or three times. And then people would notice, hey, does he have like a little, does he have cutoffs on under his shorts or can you, or when he was a blue man, it's like, are those like little blue man handprints over and that wall on the other side of the set, you know? So it was, it was, it was the first show that we would, we knew the audience was going to rewatch it, you know, everything up until then. And you couldn't stop and go back and, and see if you can catch a line back then. So every, every show was, I would say it was like an express train. It couldn't stop. So that's why up until, you know, maybe, you know, 15 you know, years ago, every show, you know, would have to re, you know, up the audience, let them know what's happening. You know, you have to come back from commercials and you would have to, I can't believe, you know, you lost the tickets to Paris was the first line of every second act. And so you would have to redo it. And, and that kind of explains why you couldn't do smarter jokes because the, the audience would just miss it. Right. And but now there was like a new technology and streaming and when streaming came by, you know, uh, one of the reasons the show did so well and stayed in people's minds because it was so rewatchable. It was so complicated and thick that, you know, you could rewatch it and still laugh. And, you know, comedies are, are a good comedy is something that you can rewatch. You know, I have a whole list of movies like that's a brilliant movie. I never want to see it again, you know. Does anyone want to see Dallas Buyers Club again? It's a great movie. You know, I don't want to see it again. <laughs> you know, Saving Private Ryan. Ah, I don't, I don't want to see those. Can we please get through all those Brave World War II guys getting their heads blown off on the beach? I don't want to see it again. Now, you, you co-created Running Wild. Did, did Was that a project that you knew Will was going to be attached to? How did that come up? Uh, that was, you know, it was an overall deal, uh, and 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 Mitch and uh, Will, you know, asked me to you know, to be a part of it, and I think that was, you know, it was it was hard because we got a lot of notes on that, and you know, we didn't think at the time that those notes, you know, sometimes you're just like, okay, you know, we can make this work, we can make this work because you know we really respected you know, the people who were giving us the notes, but sometimes, uh, you know, what that show was supposed to really be is Will Arnett and, uh, another actor, Pete Saravanovich, who's really funny. And, uh, he, he, it was really supposed to be a high, like a high comedy of two rich guys outdoing each other, uh, constantly. And that was sort of like what we went in with. And then, um, you know, we, we brought in, you know, a love interest and, and she had a kid and, you know, all great actors, you know, all thing. But I think, I think Mitch and I were probably, and Will and Pete, we, I think we were probably doing different shows <laughs> than the network wanted. So we'd have these, you know, great, and the show, and I actually, I like, I think the show's kind of charming, you know? I'm not one of those people who are like, oh God, you know. It's like, no, I, I think it was charming, and I think it should have stayed on. I think that they, they, uh, you know, 
back then they they, they kind of jumped the gun so quick on, on pulling a show because you know they pulled us really quickly and then uh and then our numbers began going up but they were like in denial about that well it's going up because you know you, you had baseball as you know promos last week whatever <laughs> you know so they always had a reason for us going up that wasn't you know people are liking the show and um then um you know they, they replaced us immediately with another show which did about you know three quarters of the numbers that we did in the same time slot and it was just one of those why <laughs> you know? right you know i have a couple of shows like that which are like why i'll never understand why they canceled my wife and kids you know it was it was it was, it was at that point you know the numbers had, had had dipped a little bit because who wants to be a millionaire we're going up against that, I think, and everybody was. Was that on? Was that on Fox originally? I don't know. I I, I know, but I don't know why. That was our now. Okay, so I can't use that as an excuse. But you know, we just took a dip in our fifth season, and for whatever reason, the network was like, "Nope, you're over." And we were like their number one show for like five years. What was it like when they brought Arrested Development back? Did you guys see that coming? And now that it was going to be on Netflix, was it a different? atmosphere because you probably weren't going to get notes and you could do what you wanted yeah and and also it had to be longer and also the cast said you know there's a big difference between writing george michael at 16 and writing george michael at 27 you know uh so the uh, the chemistry thing and 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 you know mitch is really you know he's a much smarter guy than me and he we decided to do a Rashomon style uh, that for that fourth season. And I think it was a little hard for anybody but the hardcore fans to follow. But uh, once, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a weird phenomenon where people watch all five seasons together for the first time, because, you know, basically Arrested Development is a show that you'll discover, you know, a lot of kids go to college and somebody says, uh, uh, her or come on or something they do a phrase what's that oh it's from Arrested Development you've never seen it no so there really is you know and uh, I agree those first three seasons are, are magic but I'm really very proud of season four and five too they were just they were just different they were just different and I think that you know we just didn't want to do the exact same thing over and over and over again and I think you know we we really uh you know, you know, you know, some of the funniest stuff we did in our seasons four and five, you know, absolutely, you know, it was just, they were longer. And I think that once people have in their head that this show is 22 minutes long and it's going to end now and you keep going, you're kind of like, why is the show going on? Oh, it seems long. Well, it is long. <laughs> you know, it's longer. So then we did a recut actually of it uh, for season four. And I like that too. I mean... I'm not one of those guys that just, you know, like not, not everything we do was great, but there's a lot of great stuff in four and five, a lot of great stuff. Well, you've written for so many shows and had such a good career. How did, how did two and a half men come about? Uh, we were, we had just wrapped season four and Don Rio was working on it. And he called me up and he said, um, uh, you want to work on two and a half men? <laughs> and I said, yeah, why not? I love Two and a Half Men, and I love, you know, and it was with it was with Ashton, and, it, you know, they're really, you know, God bless Chuck Lorre, because he has kept the lights on for a lot of comedy writers out here, you know, they're really, 
you know, the, the, the uh, multi-cam would be dead without Chuck Lorre. And he knows exactly what people want, and he knows exactly what he wants. And Two and a Half Men is a dirty show. I call it good, clean, dirty fun. And, uh, you know, that's what it is. And it's fun to write, and it's fun to, and it's fun to work on. And the show gets bashed a lot. I don't like it when anything gets bashed, except for the fucking Doris Day show. <laughs> you hate that show, man. I'm taking I'm taking off my thing because I'm I'm warm. So, what's you said you're waiting for pilots now? You know, after how has TV changed in your eyes as a TV writer who's been around? You know, as I said, you know, from the Golden Girls to just you've evolved in so many different shows. How do you think it's changed as the writer? It's gotten it's gotten harder. It's gotten better. It's you know you you, you, you would be lying if you said oh television was so much better in the eighties or nineties. It wasn't. You know, it really didn't start getting good until about twenty years ago. I mean, there were, there are some early stuff that is you know a lot you know like uh, there's stuff in the fifties and sixties, but. Uh, we've been in the golden age of television since Netflix started streaming. You know, it's uh, the, the difference is like when you're doing, first of all, even going from a half hour used to be 23 minutes with, you know, seven minutes of commercials in it. And so you would have to have these fake act breaks and everything. You either a two act sitcom or a three act sitcom, you know, and then cold openings and whatnot. Like I said, everything had you had to re-rack the balls at the end of the, you know, at the beginning of the second act. You know, what do you mean you lost the kids? No. <laughs> and, um, and so, so, and, and and you have that in your head, like, well, that's how they have to do it. You know, what's your act break? How are you going to keep them, you know, to come in after the commercials? So that's all gone away. That doesn't that that doesn't exist anymore. And I, I, I mean, even in you know, with the, with the, with the half hour, you know, even in, in Chuck Lorre's world, you know, it's less, what's our big act break, you know, what's our gonna, you, you used to spend hours trying to figure that out. So that's all gone. Um, serialized television story telling is, you know, it ch- changed the game. You know, every one hour used to have a beginning, middle and an end. Now they have a beginning and a middle and a cliffhanger and a cliffhanger and, and more in the middle and another cliffhanger. You just keep on keep, keeping those cliffhangers on to keep people going so you don't really res, you know, resolve stories. You know, document, you know, documentaries have changed the game big time. You know, who doesn't want to watch, you know, eight hours of some rich guy getting pummeled by the press? You yeah. know, it's like, <laughs> this is heaven. You know, and he's really, he's really sweating. Oh, my God. Other people's pain, always entertaining. And, um, but the, yeah, the, the, the biggest thing for me that's changed is the, the storytelling. And, um, and I, 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 I really would be at a loss to say we've, we've lost all that much over the thing. I, I, I'm one of those people, say so I'll use Saturday Night Live as a, uh, as a barometer, but I think the show's hysterical. Not every sketch, not all the time, but, you know, sit down one day and look at some of those uh, early Saturday Night Lives. I mean, they go, you know, 20 minutes without a laugh. You know? It was just, it was just, it, 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 we remember the good stuff, but um, 
and also women. Women's voices have really, really changed comedy. And that's what I'm, because we're getting a lot more women and there's a whole different perspective. Basically, comedy has been the domain of white male writers, uh, many out of Harvard. <laughs> and that's a particular point of view. And it's a very good point of view. And it's a very funny point of view, but we've had it over and over and over. And all of a sudden, when women came into it, and I think Saturday Night Live really was the first one to start, you know, Kate McKinnon and Cicely Strong and, you know, these, these amazing women. And, uh, and they've always had great women on that cast, but they've always been dominated by the males. And about five years ago, the cast really changed and women really, you know, took over. And it's like virgin snow. Uh, you know, it's like this whole different way of looking at the world that women are bringing to the game to the game now, and I think it helps. I think it helps. So those are my big things: storytelling and a lot more women. You know, well, that's awesome, Jim. I want I want to thank you for taking the time to come on today. Um, it's uh, been a great pleasure talking to you. As I see, you've had such a great career, and uh, and you worked on action. I mean, uh, you worked on action. That's what I, when I when I saw that I was like, I loved action. We'll, we'll go out play us out with uh, the, the Warren Zevon song all the worms and the gnomes are having lunch at the dome I can't, I can't figure that I can't, I can't figure that out I can't, find, it's, I can't get it on my computer worms and the gnomes I know. Was, Warren Zevon's you know Chris Thompson personally you know, went out of pocket to get Warren Zevon's even a dog uh, and even a dog uh, all the worms and the gnomes are having all the worms and the gnomes are having lunch at the dome. They're all living off the fat of the land. Everybody wants to be a friend of mine. Even a dog can shake hands. <laughs> there you go, people. Check out Jim Vallelay. Go look him up. It's V A L L E L Y. Watch his shows. You heard him talk about him. Go watch his shows. You can find shows. Uh, go to my website, CooperTalk.net. You can find over eight hundred episodes, eight hundred twenty-five episodes. Email me, Cooper at CooperTalk.net. I'm at Twitter, Cooper Talk, Instagram, at Cooper Talk One. And remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next time. Straight home, everybody.